everybody said? Amen. Romans 5, verse 17, Adam and Jesus, two natures. Uh, believe and try harder. That's what I felt like church was all about. Growing up in church uh, my whole life, I just felt like it was believe and try harder. And I could do pretty well to keep the outside of myself looking good, to look the holy part, the church-going kid, the deacon's kid. Uh, my dad was a deacon, and my mom was a Sunday school teacher. Both were involved heavily in church on the worship team. And I could look the part, but I knew on the inside of me there was things that were not okay. I knew on the inside of me, no matter how I looked on the outside, on the inside I had a sin nature that I could not control the way I thought, the way I acted sometimes, the way I felt, my emotions, even my, my wants and yearnings as the fleshly person. I knew that was on the outside did not match really what was on the inside. You know, and I'm comforted because even the Apostle Paul in Romans wrote, before he experienced this uh, new life in Christ, he said, Romans 7, verse 15, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. And instead, I do what I hate. Paul knew that despite his best religion, despite his best efforts, it would always fall short to change who he really was. That was until he met a man called Jesus, until he experienced the Holy Spirit for himself. So, uh, I think we're all in good company here today. I think that verse can speak to all of us that we know that sometimes you ever feel like you're two people, one that wants to do right and live right, and one that enjoys doing wrong. There's two people almost always we feel like on the inside, this fighting of this nature's. There's one part of me, I know I want to please God, I want to try, but the more I try, the more I find I fail. And the more I work, the more I feel like I, I have a part of me that I really just don't like, uh, that is doing its best to go against the things of God. So maybe today, you're like me, you've tried to get victory in some area of your life, but you can't seem to break free. Why is it so hard to break free from things like depression or angry outbursts or lustful desires, maybe unforgiveness? What about choosing bad relationships over and over again or things like drinking and gambling and smoking and, oh, wait, even overeating? Come on, we're going to preach today. Why is it so hard to control the flesh? Why is it so hard to be the same on the outside and the inside? And the question I think many people in the world have is, does this Jesus thing really work? I mean, does it really, really change you? Is there actually true, authentic power that can actually change a person? Or is it just moral behavior? Is it just religious things? Is it just getting caught up in emotionalism or hype? Is it just following a new fad or doctrine? Is it just something you try harder at? Or is there a solution here? Is there something that can really free me from my old man that's on the inside of me? That's what the world wants to know, and they're looking for it in you. I think uh, I love what A.W. Tozer wrote this. He said, the average Christian doesn't make much spiritual progress. He's converted, joins the church, and five years later, he's right back where he started. Why? Because we swing back and forth between the spirit man and this natural man, the spirit man and this flesh man. We unknowingly try to do Christianity by our own work. But let me tell you the good news. There's something real in Jesus. There's something, Jeremiah said, go to the ancient ways and see. Go to that path and find rest for your soul. 
There's a way that leads to life and life abundantly. It's an old way. It's an old cross. It's an old blood. It's something that was done 2,000 years ago, and it's still working today, changing, transforming lives, both external and internal. There's real Holy Spirit power for those who believe in Christ and His work alone by faith. Somebody say, Amen. Man, it does work. And I want to tell you that maybe one of the most important messages I'll give you this year is this today, is real freedom is simply through something called the new covenant in Jesus Christ. You see, Christ gained more for you in his garden than Adam lost you in his. Christ gained more for you in his garden than Adam lost you in his. It was a new covenant. What's a covenant, Pastor Heath? It's a binding pledge. It's a treaty. Something like a promise, uh, like a vow, and it's often sealed in blood between two parties till death do them part. Kind of like a marriage. But in the Old Testament, in the ancient world, there was two types of covenants. There was a covenant of equals, where two equal powers would make a covenant to bless one another till death do them part. It would be cut with blood, an animal sacrifice cut in two. They'd walk between it. They'd bless one another till death. Or there was a higher power and lesser power covenant, one that says, you're going to serve me, and if you do all this, I'll bless you. I'll protect you. I'll be your best friend. But if you don't, it'll be bad for you. And those covenants were made. But God knew man couldn't keep a covenant with God. God knew we couldn't keep our part. So he made something called a new covenant. Turn to your neighbor and say, a new covenant. All right, look with me in Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Let me give you three things. Adam's work, Christ's work, and the Spirit's work. Romans chapter 5, verse 17 two natures, Adam and Jesus. So God had a covenant with Adam, and Adam would steward the earth. He'd live forever with God, but he must not eat of what? One tree. Don't eat of this one tree, but by satanic temptation, Adam fell. He fell as a man, separated himself from God, and it, death came into the world. Death on him as a person, in his nature, and in his spirit, and death to all future children of Adam. And the price of this perfect man, Adam, the price of redemption to save a perfect man required the blood of another perfect man. It was a life for a life. But here's the problem. No other perfect man existed. In all of Adam's children, nobody would ever be perfect again. And God, the only way to redeem Adam and all of his children was to find another perfect man. How many of you are glad that God had a plan? God had a plan, and God took Jesus up in heaven. He promised to himself, talked with Jesus, that he would raise up a son of Eve to break the curse of sin and destroy all the works of the devil. Genesis 3.15, Jesus would come down as a new Adam. He would make a new covenant with God for us, and his children would not be born of blood, but of spirit. Amen. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Look, I'm going to read the New Living today. Here's what it says. So this is this theology, these two, this is about two Adams here, two Adams, the new Adam and the old Adam. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin, it brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. 
But because the other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more, and I love what he used to say, God's grace abound, right? So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God, resulting in eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Somebody said, Amen. Amen. What do you believe Christ has really done for you? You know, I, um, I was telling Bradley this week that I grew up in church, and I struggled really probably until my 20s to truly understand what it was that God through Jesus really did for me. Why did it have to be a cross? Why did it have to be a blood? Why did he have to come down as a man? And what does it really mean that he died for me? What does it really do for me? And it's simply that Christ gained more for me in his garden than Adam lost me in his. So let me tell you the first part. There's this, let's talk about the old man, the old Adam, Adam's work. Why is it that your flesh and my flesh is never fulfilled? Why is it that I just want to eat more, sleep more, have more vacations, you know, be in more relationship, be more intimate, be more physical? Why do we get jealous and angry? Why do we get offended? Why is my flesh never satisfied? Because back in the day, in going to the first garden, we were made with one, with one God, one with God, right? In fellowship with Him. The Bible says we were made in His image. And just like, like a uh, mom and dad, when you went to that labor and delivery room and you saw your kid, and you're like, yep, that's my kid. You're right. He's got your ears, your nose or something. But you, you knew that it was yours. Your imprint was on it. And that child grows up in your image. God saw Adam and Eve, and He saw Himself in us. We were made to glorify God. You and I were made to worship God, to declare the glory of God to all creation. But guess what happened? When man began to take disobedience, Adam went to this garden, into this tree, and at that tree he disobeyed God, and it went from grace to disgrace. It went from obedience to disobedience. It went from living in life to living in death. It went from having identity and God's purpose and power for his life to a loss of identity. And since that day, man has been in an identity crisis. I mean, look at the world today. Are we in an identity crisis of all times? I mean, there is an identity crisis today. Who is a man? Who is a woman? What am I made for? What is my purpose in life? Where am I going? Who am I? Does God love me? Am I, am I, what is my purpose for being here? Man has been on a downward spiral ever since because we traded the worship of God for the worship of flesh. Don't you see that today? Man, the worship of flesh is everywhere, the worship of self. And so what did God do? God had a promised plan of redemption God gave this thing called the law, the Old Covenant. We have this Old Testament. We have a New Testament. That means Old Covenant, the Old Law. That law was given in Adam. It was given to Noah. It was given to Abraham. It was given to David in multiple covenants. But at the end of the day, it was always a covenant of works. 600 plus rules that you'd have to obey. It was an if-then covenant. Just like it was with Adam. If you do this, I will bless you. If you do this and serve me and obey me perfectly, it will go well with you. But if you do not, it will not. God gave over 600 rules of all these holy commandments. And Paul says it was impossible for the blood of animals to take away the sin of men. It could happen for a season. For a little while you could do okay. But it never dealt with the real issue. Why? What was the purpose in that? It was to reveal, like Romans says, it was to reveal that we are utterly hopeless, 
helpless and captive to this sin nature, that we are so far from a holy God, there is no way anything you could ever do could make you right with God. And God wanted you to know how holy He was. He said, Pastor Heath, why do I read the Old Testament? So-and-so begot so-and-so, and so-and-so begot so-and-so. You skip all those first, you know, Leviticus through Numbers. Y'all don't ever read that. But, but why? Why do we read that? Why do we know this? Because God wants you to know how far from grace you really are, how far from holiness and perfection you really are, and how much you needed Him to save you. How hopeless it is that unless Jesus Christ would come, you would never be saved. You are undeserving. We are deserving of hell and damnation. That is the true gospel message. It is not that you are the best life now, that you're awesome, and you've done great things, and God's always going to love you. No, you and I deserve hell, and hell was due us. We were so far from God that God had to send His only Son to save us. Utterly hopeless in front of a holy God. God had no pleasure in all those sacrifices. This old covenant was made to bring you to the end of yourself, to show you that nothing you could ever do could make you holy. That's where Paul said in Romans 7, 18, nothing good lives in me. In contrast to what the world says today, that you're awesome, that you can be you. And it said, Paul says, nothing, nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. You see, the first step for walking in victory in the Christian life is to admit how hopeless you really are, to see that your efforts to free yourself are futile, that you could never earn God's grace, you could never work harder for holiness, you could never win the struggle over sin. doesn't matter how many types of clothing you put on, what TV shows you don't watch, what you do or don't do, you are hopeless over that sin nature. I don't care what you do, there's nothing you could do to be holy. But then the next part is you have to want to be free. So there's the old, that's Adam's work. The next is Christ's work. What did Christ do? You see, when you, um, you want to buy a house, but you ain't got any money, all right? So what do you do? Uh, you might go, if you have a good mom or dad, you go to mom and dad. You're starting off, you're a new married couple. Uh, you don't really have any credit to your name. You might say, Dad, can you co-sign the loan on this house for me? But my bride in it. I'm going to start a new family. But, man, the market's crazy. Can you co-sign this loan for me? And the bank knows you probably can't pay this. But the only way they're going to take that is if they know there's someone greater than you that can pay the debt for you if you default on it. And you and I were before a holy God with a debt that we could never pay. And Bible says that we needed a co-signer. Hebrews says a mediator of a better covenant. We needed something that was a better blood, better obedience than we could ever do. So God said, Jesus said to God, I read in Psalms 40 today, Behold, O God, I've come to do your will. I've come to co-sign on this loan. And how did he do it? He became a man. God, the Bible says in John chapter 1, the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. He took on humanity for us to co-sign this loan. We needed a new Adam. We needed perfect blood. We needed obedience. We needed a death we could not give. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. Remember that gospel hymn? It needed a perfect man. And Jesus said, God, I've come to do your will. He would come as a son of God and a son of man, one who had the spirit without measure, so he wouldn't fail God like Adam did. 
So that word became flesh. A living and perfect man, he fulfilled the law of God perfectly. He paid the debt for Adam, and when he died, he died a sinless man, and he broke the power of sin. And God on that day, on that covenant, walked with his son, just like Abraham walked with his son Isaac up that same hill. It was the same hill, the same hill that God called Abraham, walk with your son Isaac. Take your only son, your only son, Isaac. Put the burden of the wood on your son. Abraham, take the fire and walk hand in hand up that hill and sacrifice your son. On that day, God made a covenant with his son. He walked his son up that hill, and he laid his son down on that altar, and he sacrificed his son for you and for me. God made a covenant with his son because they were equal. When Jesus co-signed that loan for you, he said, God, I know that even after I do this, they're not going to live up to this. They're going to still keep sinning. They're going to fall. They're going to keep messing up. It's still going to be a broken mess. But God, I will continue to pay this debt. I will make up the difference every time they falter, every time they fail you, every single time they don't do what they're supposed to do. I will write this in my blood. And God said, because I love you, son, I will always accept it. I will always take it because you're co-signing on them. You see, that was the power of Jesus. And that promise for us became evident and visible when God raised Jesus up from the dead. The Bible says on the third day he rose, he became the firstborn of many. That means that God, through Christ, made a new line of descendants. And John said it wouldn't be men who are born of the will of men, but they would be born of the will of God. Jesus told Nicodemus on that mountain before he was crucified, he said, Nicodemus, it's not something you can understand, but unless you are born again from above, and you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. You'll never understand this. It's like the wind, Nicodemus. You have to be born again. He's like, how do I go back into my mom and, and come back out again? This is weird language. He says, no, Nicodemus, it's by the Spirit of God. You're not going to be born of fleshly things. It's not about physical DNA. It's not about doctrine or denomination or church membership or baptism certificate. It's not about signing some kind of thing. It's not having the right thing. It's not having a dress code. It's not doing this, that, or the other. It is about being born of the Holy Spirit. And if you are born of the Spirit of God, you are God's kid. Jesus has a new line. The old Adam had a physical line, human DNA, works of righteousness that we would never attain to the level of perfection. We would always fail. But Jesus over here becomes a new Adam. He makes a new line of new spiritual descendants. And it is all kids who've been born by the Holy Spirit. They have a new nature, something living on the inside of them that was not there before. Born again. This was the new covenant. You see, we lost the likeness of God, so God came down in our likeness. What Adam lost in the garden, Jesus Christ, the new Adam, even gained more in his. Adam disobeyed God at a tree, but Jesus hung on a tree. The breath Adam lost of God's nature, Jesus breathed on his disciples again and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. And the works in the first covenant were always deficient, but Christ's one work, Hebrews says, is sufficient for all time. 
There was only one work needed. It was only one thing needed, and that was his work. His work. This is what Romans 8, 3 says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could never do. God sent his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in you and in me, who are now not walking according to the flesh, but now according to the Spirit. You see, salvation now is by grace through faith, right? Come on, say, by grace through faith. It is not something I can do nor work to achieve. That was Adam's fault. That was the old covenant. That was the works of a, uh, between a greater and a lesser. But now Jesus has made a covenant between two equals. He's made a covenant for me on behalf of me. And so now I rest in his work alone. There's nothing I could ever do to earn salvation, gain salvation, or get any more saved. I'm just saved by grace through faith. In Jesus. What does that mean, Pastor Heath? You say, I believe all that. Maybe I've gone to church, I've heard these words, but I'm still not walking in victory. Why? How come I still can't get over these thoughts? How come I still can't get over all the problems I'm facing and depression or anger? Me and my wife or my spouse were fighting and I still have hang-ups and every time I get upset I turn to my old sin and I keep going back to these things. Man, you have a sin nature. You're going to fight that thing till you die. But let me tell you something. There is a true victorious power in Christ. And the problem normally I find is that when we come to church, we just get more religious. And we go back to doing things still by effort. What do I mean? I'm going to take it this way. They says to live with Christ is gain. Paul says to die. To die with Christ is is to live. To die is to live. To live is to gain. What does he mean? Tozer said, it's entirely possible to be religious, go to church every Sunday, and still never forsake the world at all. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Paul says, I die daily. He says, I'm crucified with Christ. What are they meaning? That they are continually dying to self-effort continually dying to trying harder. Uh, David Wilkerson, a phenomenal, mighty man of God, wrote a book, It Is Finished, uh, one of my favorite books of all time. Uh, and in it he says this about what is, it, what is this place of crucifying yourself? What is the place of the cross? And here's what he says. It's a place where you know beyond a shadow of a doubt you can do nothing on your own. Somebody say Nothing. Nothing. You can do nothing on your own. It's coming to the end of yourself. It's coming to a place of total helplessness where you stop struggling to please the Lord, where you stop trying to learn enough, be enough, do enough. And he says it's like that place that Jesus walked. It was a lonely, dark place where he felt abandoned by God. And he went to this cross and he gave up all power. He gave up all of himself alone and then he died. He said, Behold, O God, I've come to do your will. Not my will, but your will. He gave up all of himself. That's the cross. The cross is when I stop trying harder and I just surrender all my helplessness to God. 
See, what I was doing is I would come to church, believe all this, and then be like, man, I just got to do better. I got I to gotta, I stop doing this. I got to stop doing that. I got to start doing this. I got I to gotta try a little harder. I got to read my Bible more. I just got to put the filters on the TV and the computer. I've just got to hang, stop hanging around these people. I got to change my dress code. Can't drink this. Can't look at that. And I would try, 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 try. You know what that is? That's the old man. That's the old covenant. That's called works. That's still you trying. You know, you can try to die. But guess what? I'm not very good at dying. I, I've tried to die. I've tried to crucify this flesh over and over. And guess what? That was just me trying harder. That's still self-effort. That still works. On one side, I can do works of the flesh and go live all kinds of sin. And on the other side, I can come to church and do all kinds of works of religion, trying to think I'm helping God out by living better. But in the fact, I'm not doing any good. But God says, go to the cross, be crucified with Christ, take up your cross and follow me, and I will make you. I will make you. Remember what he says uh, in Romans, all right, sorry, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 27. God says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You see, going to the cross is a place where you come to total nothingness. About 10, 15 years ago, I got to a place where I said, God, I can't even do this Christian life very well. I'm, I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of working. And I just totally give up. And he's like, that's what I've been waiting for. Where you stop doing it and you let me do it in you. Stop trying to be better, learn more, do better, work harder. Heath, just surrender and realize you're helpless. Jesus, on the night that he was going to the cross, you know that angels came and ministered to him to give him the power to go up that hill? I found that Heath Harris doesn't like to die, and I try my best to crucify my flesh. I'm not very good at it. I need him to help me crucify the flesh. And I just say, God, I can't walk up this hill. I, need, I thank God that you walked up the hill for me, that you were crucified for me. You knew I would fail, so guess what I get to do? I rest in his work. I rest in his work that he already became perfection. He already did the crucifixion. He already won the prize for me. So guess what I just need to do? Surrender and believe. Surrender and believe it by faith. It's done for me. It's finished for me. See, that's the new covenant. That's Adam's work, then Christ's work, and lastly is this, the Spirit's work. You see, you can do your best to know about Jesus, work for Jesus, but His children, He says, are those who are not working in the flesh, but walking in the Spirit. You see, the power of Jesus comes. You say, Pastor, I don't understand. It's coming by walking in the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, there's, a, there's the promise uh, of Jesus and the power of Jesus, but there's also the promise and the power of the Spirit. The, power, the promise of the Spirit is what I just read you in Ezekiel 36. He says, I will put my Spirit within you and cause you. Somebody say cause. I'll cause you, not you do it, not you try harder, not you be better, not change your dress code, watch what you're watching on TV. That's all something later. 
I'll cause you to walk in my statutes, and you'll be careful to observe my ordinances. You see, the Holy Spirit's not a sugar high that fades between Sundays and Sundays. Somebody say amen. It's not something that wanes in effectiveness. He is always working with a believer who will appropriate him by faith. He's always working with a believer who will receive his promise by faith. He's promised to help you to live this life. He says, I will cause them, God. I say, okay, God says, Jesus, I'm always going to go to the bank for them. You're paying their debt. And God says, well, I'm going to, because I love you, son, I'm going to give them the Holy Spirit from heaven. My spirit is going to go in them. And those who die with you, who come to nothingness with you, who put their whole life like a shell inside of you, they have nothing outside of you. They, they've surrendered their whole self, their whole being to you. If they are in you, Jesus, I will put my spirit within them and cause them to want to be like you. I will put my spirit in them and cause them, move them. The word in Acts is be filled with the Holy Spirit. It means like we get filled with alcohol. It's called drunkenness, right? You start doing crazy things. You stand on tables dancing, doing all kind of things that we shouldn't speak about in church, right? You're filled under the influence. He says be filled under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and you'll do things you wouldn't otherwise by Adam's nature do. You'll do things by a new heavenly spiritual nature, and thus prove you're kids of God. You have His nature living on the inside of you. It's not you doing it any longer, but Him doing it through you. Are you possessed? No, but you are under the influence of something you didn't have before. How do you know you're God's kid? Romans says, I can cry out, Abba, Father, and the Spirit bears witness inside of me that I am God's kid. I don't doubt my salvation. I don't fear that I'm going to hell. I have something living on the inside of me that wasn't there that many days ago. And He is my Father, and I know it because I have Him. Come on. Amen? There's a promise that if you start dying to self-effort and you hide yourself in Christ's work alone, Christ will be your life. And by God working in you, it's Him keeping His promise to Jesus. Let me tell you something. God is faithful to Jesus, and that's why God's faithful to you. God is faithful to Jesus to promise, he says, son, I promise to give them the Holy Spirit. And we're over here saying, God, I just don't know how I'm going to make it. I just don't know what I'm going to do. He's like, I've already promised it. I'm faithful to my son. I'll be faithful to you. All you have to do is believe and receive what I've already promised. It's been poured out on the cross. Listen to me. We are asking for things often God has already given. He's already promised you the Spirit. Jesus has already paid for your sin. Paul says it this way in Romans 8, verse 13. Let me, this is the key verse. Man, if you could put some on your fridge if you're struggling today, read and meditate on this verse. Romans 8, 13. Here's what it says. If you are living according to the flesh, self-effort, trying harder, do more, be better, learn more, Get in the right denomination. Speak in tongues. Don't cut your hair. Put some dresses on. I don't care. Go to this denomination. Be Baptist. Be Pentecostal. Be Lutheran. If you're trying harder by the flesh, it ain't going to work. You're going to die, he says. But if by the Spirit, somebody say Spirit, by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What does that mean? Are you perfect? No. Are you holy? No. But the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is holy, hence His name. Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit in you, guess what you are? Holy. 
He put His Spirit in you, and by the Spirit you can put to death the deeds of the body. You will live. Not by trying harder, being better, learning more, but by surrendering yourself to put yourself in a place of nothingless. God, I give up trying. Holy Spirit, I believe you have all the power I need. You have the promise of the Father. And I surrender all my life and effort and struggle to you. I give up trying. So, Holy Spirit, I'm going to the place of death. I'm dying. Find myself dead in Christ, Colossians 3.20, that I might live in Christ with God. I am in Him, and if I'm in Him, I'll live. Amen. What does that mean? I believe that Christ freed me from sin. I believe I don't have to live like I used to live. I believe He gave me all the power I need, and I receive that power just like salvation by faith. Some of us believe that we're saved by faith, but we don't believe we have victory by faith. Let's be honest. We believe we're saved by faith, but we don't believe we have victory by faith. We believe we're saved by faith, but we don't believe we have the fullness of the Holy Spirit by faith. Let me tell you something. It's the same promise. It's the same work. It happened on the cross, poured out on Pentecost. He's given you everything you need to live their overwhelming, victorious, devil-chasing, conquering life in Jesus Christ. Why? Because Christ gained more for you in His garden than Adam lost you in His. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me this morning? Father, I pray over every man, woman, boy, and girl here today that we would receive by faith all that you have promised for us, all that you paid the price for us, that we would die with Christ, have our life hidden in Christ, crucify that old man, Lord, not by our own efforts or works that we could do or boast about, but simply come to a place where we give up all of ourself and receive all that you've paid the price for. Holy Spirit, I pray encouragement and faith to every person struggling today. Maybe you're here today and you have been struggling with life-controlling issues, struggling with thoughts and behaviors and feelings, struggling with unforgiveness or addiction, struggling with habits that have been hanging you up for so long. If you would just believe right now that Jesus is enough. If you would come to the end of yourself every day working to just surrender and just receive all that he's already given to you, Jesus promises freedom. He says, I will cause them to walk in my statutes. I will put my spirit within them. They'll have a new heart and a new spirit and a new desire and a new one. The old man will pass away. All things will become new. There is a new heavenly nature God has for you. So, sir and ma'am, would you just right now just begin to make an altar? Maybe you've been trying harder, trying to figure it out, trying to live better. Go to church, pay your tithes, do better, try not to cuss, try not to do this, try not to do that. Try to look the part, act the part, but you know on the inside, God, I have really still messed up. I know with Paul there is nothing good in me that is in my old sinful nature, so God, I just surrender by faith. Jesus, you are enough. Jesus, you are enough. You are all that I need. I'm helpless without you, Jesus. I'm hopeless without you, Jesus. And I receive by faith the work on the cross was sufficient for me. Your work was sufficient for me. And I lay my life down and surrender. 
Holy Spirit, I need you. Holy Spirit, cause me to walk in obedience with Christ. Holy Spirit, give me the power that was promised on Pentecost. Give me the fullness of the Holy Spirit in power to be a mighty witness for God. Not by my own efforts or my own wants or my own desires, but by the desires that come from heaven at your throne above. Holy Spirit, would you shake your church once again. Revive us, O oh God, to biblical New Testament Christianity that burned across the Roman world and took the world by storm and 300 years shaped nations, O oh God. Bring us back to a place of Holy Spirit takeover.